Time, time, time. See what's become of me. While I looked around for my possibilities, I was so hard to please. The Wisdom of the Bangles But what is time, and why are we so obsessed with it? We have to be on time. We have to make time. We have a good time and a bad time. Morris Day in the time. We can go forward in time, but not back. There's never enough of it, and too much. Ansel Steif is a physicist from the University of Heidelberg. Hi, Ansel. Um, do you have time? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a very good question. Oh, okay then. Yeah, because in the sense of physics, we are none of us having time. Uh, time has us, and there is not a thing we can do about it. What is time? That's a hard question for physics, you know. Time is really just what we can measure. How much an isotope decays, how much a quartz crystal oscillates, anything you like. So I have here in my office a little slice of Google hoop, and I know if I eat it, it will go through my viscera and come out as a little poop. So I can say that time has passed when that has happened. But uh, maybe I, I call that much time a new unit, a Google hoop der Kurpe Passager moment. And we can, we can put that into the equations, and so we will have time. Okay, I did not follow that, but say that I wanted to travel back in time. Could I do that? Yeah, there is some theories, you know. Maybe there is a wormhole or something like that, but I don't think so. Oh, but I want to. Oh, okay. If you could go back to any time, when would you want to go to? Well, like, I, 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 don't, I don't think that this is possible. See, I... See, I would like to go back to the Old West. I mean, I wouldn't be like a gunslinger, but you know how there's always that guy in the saloon who's got a beard and a white hat, and he sells patented tonics and remedies, and his name's like Doc something? I'd like to be that guy, you know? Find a little town somewhere that doesn't have one and just set up shop. Yeah, good. I mean, I'd whip up some remedies. Oh, you've got Snakebite Sheriff, you should go see Doc. He'll see you right in, you know. And, and I'd be propping up the bar, drinking sarsaparilla, telling everyone about Nikola Tesla. And, you know, they don't really get it, but, but they accept me, you know. Well, physics doesn't have much to say about that. Do you think that I could do that one day? Well, as I have said, no, I, I do not think so. Okay, so if you could go back, like, to any point in time, any place, where would you go? Well, I would like to go back to Biblical Palestine, I think, because I'd really like to talk to Jesus, you know, the historical Jesus. I think I'd like to ask him about, you know, abortion and homosexuality, and, you know, I, I think I know what he would say. Oh, sure. Well, the, re the real Jesus? Yeah, yeah, me too. Right? And, you know, I'd film his answer on my iPad here, and then I'd come back and I would show it to my filthy, sinning kids. Oh. Okay, sir, thank you. If you could travel back in time, when would you go back to? Well, I've got a lot to do, and I don't like answering stupid questions, so I should probably travel back about 30 seconds and this time not stop. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Excuse me. You know, I, I hate doing it. I'm not allowed to do this fortnight, time. Stories about looking back and moving forward. I'm Vush Panapatamani, and from EMF and the Public Library of New York City, Missouri, you're listening to This Radio Life. 
What do you talk about when you talk about time? Probably your wristwatch, how late your friend is for coffee, the crushing inevitability of your sad and lonely death. One thing that probably does not come up is whether or not time can be captured. But in a small private lab in Switzerland, there's a guy who claims to be able to do exactly that. The thesis of our show? Saturday night's all right for enlightening? Hmm? Listen. Hello! Hello, Bonjour. Hello. yes. Bienvenue, come in. That's Guy Dutin. Until last year, he was professor of chronology at the University of Dieppe. Had a good flight? Yes, very good. I had the chicken. Uh, so. Always, I have the beef, but I hear that the chicken is good too yeah. sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, can, can, can we see your collection? Of course, yeah. Guy led me down two flights of stairs, through a heavy door with a digital lock. He had to type in a six-digit code to unlock it. Down another flight of stairs, and into an underground room that was lit brightly with fluorescent strips. This is the lab's archive, where in a couple of hundred tightly sealed glass beakers, Guy keeps his collection. His collection of time. Wow! You see? Well, I see a lot of bottles. Ah, uh, 562 bottles. But I still, I still don't think I really understand. In, in the bottles is... The time. To be exact, uh, each flask contains one second of time, each from a different day since we began the experiment. So here, this is the first one. Um, this one with one second of time from January the 23rd, 2014, uh, from about uh, half before five. Right. And then here, this one, uh, we have uh, a second that I captured just this morning, bright and early. You know, they just look like empty bottles. Well, time is not visible, so of course. And the bottles are all sealed? Yes, but uh, look, for you, I think that uh, we should open one up. Really? Okay, yeah, we oui, let's do it. Uh, how about this one? Well, when's that one from? That is a second of time from last year. Uh, my birthday, actually. Okay, and... And what will happen here when you open it? So you see, the second that I capture, uh, the process removes that second from the timeline. So when I open the bottle, the second will burst out and slot between the seconds of today, and we will live one second of 2016 together. Oh wow, okay, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so I open up the seal now. Are you ready? Okay, so I did not feel or, you know, see um, anything. No, you would not. Uh, it is, does not change uh, anything. But the, that second was from my birthday on 2016, and you are a very rude man. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Why is that? You did not say happy birthday to me. Oh, well, look. Uh, happy birthday, man. It's too late now. Uh, it's not my birthday well, anymore. Well, a belated happy birthday, then. Merci. Now it might not sound to you like much, but Guy has big plans. He's already in talks with some of the world's largest novelty manufacturers to sell bottled seconds as anniversary gifts, keepsakes. Maybe couples want to keep a second of their wedding day or their child's birthday. He says he'll strictly limit how many seconds he's prepared to capture, says a bottled second will be an investment. 
Oui, Yves uh, is like wine. You see, you don't buy a Chateau Latour from 1945 to drink. You lay it down in your cellar and you let it improve. Maybe open a bottle on special occasion, you know. It will be like that for people, you see. I wish I had discovered this process earlier. I wish I could live a second of the World Cup from 1998, you know. But uh, it is not to be. But I think in the future people will want this. And when, of course, uh, there are the therapeutic effects. The therapeutic effects. Guy says that his bottled seconds might be able to provide beneficial outcomes for all manner of diseases. It's pretty hardcore science, but it boils down to reminding the immune system of a time when it was healthy and allowing natural healing processes to take over armed with that information. It's hardly a peer-reviewed study, but I have to admit, when I went to Switzerland, I've been having this weird pain in my arm, but since we lived that second of 2016, when Obama was still president, it's felt a lot better. But of course, nothing is ever so simple. Remember I said he used to be a professor? Well, of course, it is complete nonsense. You can't bottle time any more than you can walk on the moon. That's Brian Yaffle. He's a research fellow at Oxford. It's rubbish. But men have walked on the moon, right? Yes, but not you. Oh, oh, I see. Professor Yaffle is leading a small but concerted effort to challenge Guy's results. They succeeded in forcing his departure from Dieppe last year, but they're not stopping there. What you really do have to understand is that science is more important than one man and his collection of bottles. Something like this is insidious. You allow a man to publish nonsense like this, and it undermines the whole edifice. Before you know it, people will be even stupider than they are already, which is very stupid indeed. It needs stamping on, like a child's insolence. So what are you planning to do? Whatever it takes. That was a few months back now. But since then, science has gone to war. It started when Professor Yaffel published a study in the Journal of Applied Physics in which he claimed there was no evidence for Guy Dutamp's claims. Two weeks later, Guy Kanner published his own study in the American Journal of Chronological Sciences. He said there was evidence, a whole bunch of it. Yaffel hit back, this time in Nature. He said he'd formally appraised Dutamp's evidence, and he said it wasn't evidence at all. The next morning, Guy published in the Annalen de Physique. He said it was evidence, and he said that Yaffel's evidence was not evidence. Yaffel published his response to that, a new study which replicated Dutamp's last three studies and found multiple flaws before the end of the day. In the weeks that followed, it got worse and worse, with more studies published daily. It was threatening to become the most damaging scientific controversy since Darwin, and that's how it came to the attention of the Royal Society. Well, uh, the Royal Society of London is the oldest scientific institution in the world. That's Victor Davis Venkatesh. He's the president of the Royal Society. It falls to us to intervene when things get out of hand. So is there a process that you go through? Yes, the standard means by which controversy is settled is, of course, peer review. But that doesn't always go far enough. Sometimes a controversy is so great that we need to escalate. And what then? Well, first we put the matter before a panel of learned scholars. They are elected by the society's fellows, and usually they can resolve most disputes. Okay, but if they 
can't resolve the dispute. If they cannot, then the case will be referred up to the Council of Eight. Uh, the Council of Eight have the authority to pronounce on the rationality of a proposition, and their word is considered proof in all scientific disciplines except for number theory. And if the Council of Eight can't come to a decision? Well, this has not happened for a long time. Okay, but if, if it did happen? Well, I... The Charter does specify that in the unlikely event that the matter cannot be decided by the Council of Eight, then the Society can, in extreme circumstances, accept proof by combat. combat. Yes, uh, famously, Hooke and Newton fought over the composition of white light, and we reached our current understanding that it is composed of all the other colors, you know, um, because Newton was able to defeat Hooke in our fighting pits. But um, things like that at the time were quite common. It's true. Some of our best-known scientific theories were only finally proved in the fighting pits of the Royal Society. The germ theory of disease was proved in a knockout roundhouse kick delivered by Gideon Mantell to a now-forgotten opponent in 1854. Boyle's Law was only accepted when Robert Boyle tagged in for Edme Marriott in a 1679 Royal Society rumble and took down Henry Southey with a cobra punch to the neck. More recently, Fermat's last theorem was finally proved by Cambridge mathematician Andrew Wiles in an epic three-hour Hell in a Cell cage match where he just managed to hold off the skeptics for long enough to eke out a victory on points. So these days, do you still use the fighting pits at all? No. These days, the pits are only maintained as a curiosity. All of the Royal Society's fights now take place in Las Vegas. No! I've seen a lot of fights, UFC, WWF, dogfights in New Orleans, but this fight between Dutomps and Yaffel ranks up there with the most brutal. And the professor from Oxford is showing no restraint at all. Um, he has Dutomp on the floor and he's not letting it. Oh, that is vicious. To me and to everyone in the crowd, really, it looked like it was going to be a rout. Yaffel had the upper hand almost from the off. He worked Dutomp over pretty good. He's really working the lower body now. And, um, oh my goodness. 
But suddenly... Oh my god, folks, Toutant was down, but he has just executed the most beautiful scissor kick I think I've seen in natural philosophy. And Yaffle is down. He is, he is down. He's trying to raise himself up, but Toutant is on top of him, and his arm is twisted up behind him, and that looks really painful. And somebody get a microphone on those men, because this looks like it's over. So, Professor, you admit now that you were wrong? Science is science. But it must feel, um, humiliating. No, it does not feel humiliating. To be proved incorrect by the free exercise of rational inquiry brings no shame whatsoever. Science has done its work, and I'm very, very happy at that result. Okay, but... Do you not feel, I mean, I think I would feel bad, um, personally. You know, you really don't understand about science at all. I think I'm finished. So that is that. You can capture time in a bottle. Science says so. If you want to buy a captured second, he is accepting inquiries at his website. He says he'll be going into full production early next year. We'll link to that. And we'll be back on this radio life in just a shake of a lamb's tail. Don't go away. This radio life is supported by SellItToTheMan.com, streamlining selling out for the creator generation. If you're a millennial, you probably don't have time to do all the work that selling out to the man requires. You have to send out demo tapes, introductory emails, resumes. You know that the foot in the door culture of the baby boomers is gone and not coming back, but if you've got some art you want to debase, it can feel like there are really no good alternatives. Well, with Selling Out Streamlined from SellItToTheMan.com, you can stop wasting time and put the corruption of your youthful ideals to work for you. Whether you're a filmmaker, a musician, a YouTuber, a podcaster, the Sell It To The Man smartphone app lets you sell it all down the river in less than a minute. All you have to do is go through our one-time setup that lets you categorize the contents of your fragile soul with a simple four-question survey, and we'll deliver advertising scripts straight to your device. So long as you read it all out in your own voice and convincingly pretend to use the service or product in question, you could be entitled to earn a 0.1% commission on all qualifying sales resulting from a verifiable click-through. 
I use selliottotheman.com for all my selling out these days. I'll read whatever they put in front of me, no matter how demeaning. I am a bad little doggy, and I deserve my punishment. Arf, arf. Thank you, Daddy. That's Selling Out Streamlined from sellittotheman.com. If you're a creator, they've got you with your pants on. Now, it's back to our show. I love video games as much as the next man. Pong, uh, Space Blasters, all of that. But in recent years, gamers like me have had to take a good long look at ourselves. We've had to broaden our conversation to include women. And now... What do we want? And when do we want it? Now! What do we want? A new challenge to the gaming status quo is brewing. Welcome to the antithesis of our show. Monkey NPC, Monkey You, Charlie Hamptons. On the frostbitten downlands of a fantasy realm, two figures are fighting with swords. The taller of them is a man named Jamarvan. In the ancient tongue of his people, it translates to bringer of the dawn, and he's clad in golden plate that glistens in the hazy light of the twin suns, I guess. His opponent wears nothing so fancy. He's a lizard person in cobbled together armor, and compared to Jamarvan's shining long sword, his battered war axe is a pretty feeble weapon. The fight goes as you'd expect, Jamarvan takes some blows, but he's able to stop time, and he does so, using the frozen seconds to swallow a potion that heals him instantly. When he allows the fight to continue, it's all over quickly. He runs his nameless opponent through, and doesn't even pause to reflect on what he's done. He's already moving on, on to the next lizard, or beast, or hostile spirit. All will fall to his blade. Jamarvan. Jamarvan is a puppet. A rigged avatar for otherworldly interlopers like me. He will be celebrated and heaped with trophies, but his vanquished foe, nameless and slain, will be forgotten in minutes. Who speaks for him and for those like him? Who speaks for the NPCs? Hey, uh, so if you just say who you are. Uh, I am Bjorn Sorensen, uh, and I'm the executive director for the NSPC NPCs. And that is the... Uh, the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Non-Playable Characters. And can you tell us about your organization? Sure, well, we campaign for the rights of AI-driven characters in video games. So what is today about? Uh, today we are having an international festival of rage to express our solidarity with the oppressed mass of AI-driven NPCs who are subject to a genocide at the hands of gamers and the companies who enable them. So there is the march and we have a platform for our speakers and then our campaigns director who is dressed as Donkey Kong will drop a flaming battle in from the bridge uh, into the river to symbolize the inhumanity with which we treat our AI cousins. Earlier I, I saw something, I came by and there were there were people 
uh, it were, they were eating a mushroom and then they would stamp on it on a turtle that you, you left on the floor. Yes, uh, that's right. We began today with a die-in outside the parliament here, so we reenacted the Mushroom Kingdom genocide. People must learn to see through a new prison. These may be games to you and uh, to the government, but to the family of a Cooper trooper who has been slain in this way, these are horrors that are played out in their imaginations every day. We want to see, uh, we want people uh, around the world to see that there is a visceral reality to these things. So, uh, so that's what we do. You see, it's like this. In games, NPCs follow simple rules. Go here, do this. If you see the player character, hit him with a sword, that kind of thing. And you might think that that means that they are far below you in terms of intelligence, but ethicists, like Dr. Julian Strack from the University of Maryland, they take a different view. Well, it comes down to whether you're a believer in the soul. I mean, I'm not. And ultimately, I don't think we can construct an ethical framework on something that's so poorly supported. But NPCs just follow simple rules, right? Well, yes, kind of, but, but so do you. Uh, so do I, right? Stay warm, eat, breed. I mean, it feels more complex, but that's what we call an emergent phenomenon, right? It's just our experience superimposing an illusion of free will onto an essence that's deterministic by nature. But still, a human gamer is more sophisticated than a simple AI enemy. Well, that's a matter for debate, man, but, but, but look, what about an ant, right? An ant is a lot less sophisticated than an AI in a modern game. An ant just wants to follow its path and eat. A modern AI enemy might have factional alignment, a level at which fear causes it to flee, situational awareness fed to it from systems mimicking sight, hearing, or even smell. Wherever it sits on the spectrum of consciousness, it's between an ant and a human. And we might be fine with squashing an ant, but a lot of us are vegetarians. What if an AI is as conscious as a cow? Not killing cows is definitely on the ethical spectrum. So that means an AI's rights are not fundamentally in a different category to yours. It's, it's just a matter of, uh, well, it's a grey area. It's just a matter of where you draw a line. If you didn't follow that, it's enough to understand that although you might not recognize the rights of the AIs you slaughter in a game, some people do. And ethically, they're no different to vegetarians. This isn't something you can ignore. And when do we want it? No justice! No NPCs! No justice! Charlie Hampton's there, reporting from Scandinavia. We were intrigued by the idea of AI rights, but we realized that we had fallen into the trap of so much activism and neglected to listen to the authentic voices of the oppressed. So I wanted to talk to a real NPC. That was a lot harder than I'd hoped. A lot of characters would not speak to me at all. This happened a lot. Hi, is that Inky? I was hoping to ask you if... You know, every time I call, it's the same thing. But finally, we found an NPC who was willing to talk to us on the record. His name is Josh. He's a guard in Skyrim, has two kids. He didn't want us to tell you which hold he serves, says he's worried for his family, but take it from us that it's one of the major ones. Hi, Josh. Wait, I know you. Well, I'm the host of this radio life. Maybe you're a listener? Heard about you and your honeyed words. Okay, well, great. Anyway, um, you are a guard, so what's that like? My cousin's out fighting dragons, and what do I get? Guard duty. 
that that seems harsh to me that you're just stuck like that. I mean, I know that that is the law in in your universe, but have you ever tried to break out to do something else? Disrespect the law and you disrespect me. I did not mean any disrespect. It's not true what they say about you and the Dark Brotherhood, is it? What, uh, Fox? No, no, no. We're, we're, this radio life is independent, public radio. We're, we're listener-supported. But look, we were talking to a professor of ethics, and he thinks that you deserve the same rights as player characters. What business do college majors have in a place like well, anyway? Well, I think they're just concerned that you are... Clearly, conscious moral entities, and yet, you're not treated with respect. We got a nickname for anyone who trifles with our scores here in Suicide. But that doesn't always work out for you. I mean, there are no consequences for trifling with you. Not really. My cousin's out fighting dragons, and what do I get? Guard duty. Right. Disrespect the law, and you disrespect me. You know, I really did not mean any disrespect before. It's not true what they say about you, Ed. The Dark Brotherhood, okay. is um, it? Josh, I think, I think we've, Josh, I think we've got everything what we need. What business do college majors have in a place like well, anyway? Oh God, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. We got a nickname for anyone who trifles with our scores here in suicide. You take care of yourself, Josh, okay? My cousin's out fighting dragons, and what do I get? Yeah, you Guard take care of yourself. Disrespect the law and you okay. disrespect me. Goodbye, Josh. It's not true what they Bye. say about you and the Dark Brotherhood, is it? What business do college majors have in a place like well, anyway? We got a nickname for anyone who trifles with our scores here in Suicide. <laughs> That's our show. Thank you to Josh and to Calselmo for putting us in touch. Thanks to Guy and to Professor Yaffle. And to Robert Smith, I was listening to The Cure a lot, making this one, so thanks, Bob. We'll be here for you in one, two weeks. This radio life was written and performed by Simon and Delicate. If we made you laugh a little, cry a little, watch the world drift by a little, then help us out. We need reviews on iTunes for this to work out. And tell your friends. We could do with it. See you soon.